All right, Justin, part three of our little venture series here. Uh, we obviously in that first episode, hopefully it got everybody pretty excited about the opportunity that venture private investing in general really provides. And then part two, we went through, hey, this is so exciting and makes so much sense. Why doesn't everybody do it? Kind of walk through a couple of the main criteria why we think, you know, hey, this should give you a little bit of pause. And then we talked about or set up this part three episode is, okay, great. I'm super excited about it. I think that, you know, it definitely belongs in my portfolio. I've overcome the uh, the potential reasons why I wouldn't do it. Liquidity, resources, access, uh, and I'm ready to actually participate. And so when we get there with clients that are listening uh, and we start to build out their venture, uh, the venture part of their portfolio, I'd love to just walk through how systematic we are, how we think about it, how we go about it, maybe get into a little bit of why we think that's so important. So even starting with the portfolio itself and the custom nature, let's go there and then and then build. And we hit on it in the last episode and we've touched on the customized way in which we build portfolios. But if you check all these boxes, how do we start to identify what amount? The starting place is basically a 10% floor of your portfolio. And then if there's substantial projected a- excess resources for the next generation, that that's kind of the 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 ceiling, right? And then depending on your unique circumstances, maybe it could be somewhere in between. But then once we figure out what that target actually is, to your question, we know based on history, based on data, that there's cycles within markets in general, but certainly that that's the case within venture as well. And really what that means is there's going to be good years and there's going to be bad years. The amazing returns and the, the, the numbers that we threw out in the, the first episode of this series doesn't happen each and every year. It's not just this nice linear uh, relationship. And so we want to make sure we're systematic. And it, really what that term means is it, we're repeatable. We're getting access year in and year out. So we have a higher expected um, or expectation, a better likelihood higher probability, whatever phrase you want to use, to see that higher expected return over long periods of time. What that actually means in practice for us is taking your target, your unique specific target to venture and saying, hey, we want we want to build this into a repeatable process. We're not just going to take that entire amount and put it into a fund this year and then wait until the liquidity comes back whenever that is down the road, potentially 10 years, as we've talked about. We say, well, let's participate over a minimum of five years so we hopefully get a recycling effect at some point in time through this program. And then you're participating not only over the the next five years, but then year six, year seven, year eight, year nine. And then it just kind of feeds on itself and becomes this really, really nice systematic process to to capture those higher expected returns that that we've talked about. I think that's really helpful. And maybe even for people listening to put some numbers to it, and I'll keep it pretty simple, but let's assume that we have a a new client that comes in to keep it really simple and they've got $20 million and no access or no allocation to venture in their portfolio. How we would think about that, right, is, okay, $20 million, let's assume that you're not going to earn a whole lot beyond this. You know, our our starting point's going to be about a $2 million allocation, right? And assuming that this client doesn't, you know, have the priorities that build up to, you know, much more than say 10 or 15 million dollars of need for those resources in their lifetime, then we're going to implement that. We're going to take that 2 million dollars and 
I think, you know, well, I know what you're saying is we're not going to take that $2 million and plop it in the venture right, market exactly. this year, right? We're going to take it and say, okay, over the next five years, so we're going to do 400000 this year, 400000 next year, and so on until we get to that $2 million. And then where we might violate it is we've got a client with $100 million. And let's say their total need of those resources in their lifetime is you know $40 million. We have this excess resource bucket mm-hmm. of $60 million. So what we're talking about is, okay, great. How do we steward that $60 million in the best way possible for the next generation? it probably means that we should go above that 10% floor in, in venture, right? So we may you know, double that to 20 or 25% potentially once the client really has a great understanding of how we go about this. Is that accurate kind of benchmarking? That, that's spot on, that's 100% correct. And every single client's unique. You can right. even see $100 million clients with differing uh, approaches, but you're spot on. We wanna customize everything to their situation. So kind of building on that a little bit, okay, we've got this allocation, we're participating over five vintages, maybe talk a little bit about, uh, are we investing the exact same funds and same opportunities year in and year out? Or, you know, how do you think about actually building that portfolio each year as we go along? Yeah, so uh, I'll start high level on our general philosophy with, with respect to venture specifically. There's the art of venture i've talked about it being a craft and really it being a relationship driven endeavor for the most part the skill in which a manager has the repeatability of that skill these are all more of the qualitative side of of venture the art if you will and then there's the the pure science the data when you take everything together within venture capital what does the data actually tell us well Outliers can be random. It does follow something called a power law distribution. And then even more granularly, what type of funds outperform, what size of funds outperform. And when you put all that together, well, first of all, there is persistence within manager's skill. So we wanna get access to the best. That goes back to access and and repeatable access to the top top tier. There's, there's evidence that they will continue to win, right? But on the science side of things, when you look at the data, you see the earlier stage funds actually outperform and smaller funds outperform. They're more nimble. They're arguably taking on more risk, but you're getting a higher expected return as a result. To your question specifically, because of the nature of of how funds actually deploy capital and, and when they fundraise, that doesn't happen each and every year. There isn't this marketplace that I get to go to and say, I want to buy the same five funds each and every year. That's just not how venture or private markets at at large work. So we have a platform of, of our relationships, of our preferred funds. They're all raising on different schedules. And that's actually a good thing. I don't mind that because what it what it gives us, not only are we talking about what's called vintage year diversification when we talk about deploying over a five-year cycle, but we also want manager diversification as well. And it there's there's just the inherent need for that because of when funds are raising, we would probably do that by design anyway. So our vehicles, our, our annual funds are investing in different managers each and every year. The idea is that these managers are outperforming and when they come back to raise, we are going to participate with them again. So there is some repeatability, but it's going to be staggered out over many, many years. But the underlying focus is gonna be a majority deployed into early stage, smaller venture funds with top tier managers. And then 
the rounded out piece of it will be a little bit later stage to give a little bit more, let's say, predictability to the fund and also uh, shorter term liquidity needs. And I think that's important for for clients to understand is it's a huge advantage to be in market kind of all the time. Yeah. Right. And you get to have access to the best opportunities, you know, when they do make themselves available. And most of these underlying funds, they fundraise on a two to three year cycle. Right. They raise a bunch of money. They deploy it. They go invest in companies. They're out of money. They got to go raise their next fund to do it the next time around. So, you know, what it allows us to do is by being in market all the time, we see everything. And if we were doing that every two to three years, that'd be this kind of like trying to line up the opportunities. And I think you would find yourself being extremely product driven, uh, like we had on previous sessions. But, you know, what this allows is for the development of relationships and people know that, hey, AWM Ventures is there. They're always willing to write checks if the opportunity presents itself. So guess what? Guess who gets the calls? They're going to call us because they know that we have the capital to deploy. And it's why you meet with specifically meet with so many different fund managers year in and year out and do the due diligence on them because we never know when the opportunity might exist to take advantage of that for you guys that are listening. So hopefully this gave you a a little bit of a, a flavor for how we actually systematically think about your allocations to venture. And maybe we'll get into in future episodes a little bit about, hey, when we actually go to look at a specific fund, I think it'd be fun to hear just your process, uh, Justin, for, hey, we just got this introduction via somebody that we trust and we got our first meeting. It would be interesting for you to kind of break down, hey, what are we looking for? How long does that cycle take? How quickly can you get comfortable? All those different types of things and really talk you know, more specifics about how we go about making the investments. And then I think also portfolio construction uh, would be good to focus on in a future episode. How many funds do we put in? How do we look at that, et cetera? But for today, we'll, we'll wrap up. And as always, own your wealth, make an impact, and always be a pro. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.